Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to today's Bossed Up podcast. I'm your host, Bossed Up's founder and CEO, Emily Aries, and I am so excited for today's podcast because it centers on one of my favorite topics, negotiation. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to make sure you saw that Bossed Up Bootcamp is coming to the Big Apple next month, April 28th and 29th. I'll be in New York City with a bunch of incredible Bossed Up trainers for our flagship weekend-long program, all about how to navigate career transition. So if you'd like to join us, learn more now at bossedup.org slash bootcamp, where you can register now, sign up for one of our monthly installment plans, and even find out more about applying for scholarships. I hope to see you there because Bossed Up Bootcamp is one of the best things we do. Now, today we're talking about negotiation at its most beginner stages. I could honestly do a podcast every week about the nuances of negotiation, especially when you look at it from an intersectional feminist perspective. But today I want you to put yourself in your college student shoes for a second. Maybe you are currently a college student, so this is easy for you. But if you've been in the workforce for a little bit of time, I want you to think back to when you were first gainfully employed, potentially even before graduation day. For me, I had always worked since I was 15 years old and got my first big break folding t-shirts at a retail store in the mall. And I am proud to say I worked at a kiosk in the mall, the kind of kiosks that you walk by and try to avert your gaze from the person who's working it. I sold hair extensions and clip-ins, y'all. And I was thrilled to get paid to do that at 15. I was already overachieving and working at one place in the mall, then going down to pull a double shift at my little kiosk job. And later on in college, things improved a little bit. I got a camp counselor role over the summer. I was at one point a data entry research assistant codifying data for my professor. I was a barmaid, as they call them, in London. Some of y'all who heard this story on my last podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You, sent me photos of the rocket (laughs) near King's Cross Station where I used to pull pints proudly, I might add. But I was actually a really terrible cocktail waitress for a summer at a martini bar in Providence where I spilled more than my fair share of martinis on our paying customers. And I was a babysitter. And I would pride myself on the fact that I was a really great babysitter. It helped that when I was 10 and then 11 years old, my parents ended up having two more kids. So I had a baby brother 10 years my junior and a baby sister 11 years younger than me. 
And, you know, that was such prime training when it came to child rearing and being a great big sister. And as my parents called it, a built-in babysitter. But what I didn't realize when I was working all of these jobs throughout college is that the folks I was serving also had options. So it wasn't just me who had some choices about where to spend my time and how to maximize my earnings. You know, the folks who were paying me to do these jobs, they had options too. They could either go with me or find someone better, find someone else to go with. But what I really didn't think about when I was a college student is that finding that someone else, if they were to go with someone else instead of me, that takes time, energy, and really money. You know, people sink time and energy and and money into finding the person they want to hire. Now, it might not have been hard to find a better cocktail waitress than me because I was not a great cocktail waitress. You know, if my babysitting client's kids loved me, finding someone else to replace me might involve what economists call some switching costs. Think about it. We all know switching costs from the consumer side. I've been really frustrated with my cell phone service for close to a year now, but I haven't gotten around to switching to a different service provider because, frankly, it's kind of a pain in the butt. You know, switching where you get your cable from, also kind of a pain in the butt. Switching where you go out to dinner, maybe less of a challenge. But finding someone else to hire, that comes with switching costs too, especially if you've already been employing them. And that gives power to you, the person who's being paid to do whatever job you're doing, power that I never fully recognized or realized I had when I was a college student And I never in a million years thought about negotiating because of the power that I brought to the table. So for today's conversation, I want to break down a career conundrum that came in from Kina, who as a student has recognized her power to negotiate, to ask for more, but doesn't know how to begin. Let's hear straight from Kina herself. Hi, my name is Kina. I work at a martial arts school in Dayton, Ohio. I have been working at this martial arts school for about a year and a couple months. I am feeling like it's time to ask for a raise, but I don't know how to do that. (laughs) So my career conundrum is how do I ask for a raise? How do I avoid imposter syndrome or under crediting the work that I've done? Kina, this is such a great question, and I commend you, boss, for starting to practice the art of negotiation at an early stage. Because as someone who held a ton of part-time jobs while being a student as well, I can tell you that in retrospect, I never did and wish I had asked for more. So to help break down your question, Kina, I've brought in a friend of mine, a negotiation expert, and one of our certified bossed up trainers, Kathleen Hart. Now, Kat has a great story about how she found the courage to successfully switch career paths from the nonprofit sector to software design and doubled her salary along the way. She then went on to launch the Big Leap Show podcast, which is all about women who've made the leap into entrepreneurship. And I had the 
honor of being interviewed by Kat on The Big Leap Show, which I'll link to in the show notes, because that interview is all about those very early days of entrepreneurship and my story of how I figured out how to make it happen. Warning, I get really real in that show, and I am totally candid about the highs and the lows of starting Bossed Up. And she's recently gone on to create a new online course called Be Brave, Get Paid to help other women learn to negotiate their salaries with confidence and courage. Kat, it is such an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm so excited to talk with you and uh, to get to answer Kina's question today. Awesome. So what do you think about Kina, a current college student who's figuring out how to ask for more at this pretty early stage in her career? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm like all props to you, Kina. That's incredible cuz I mean many people do not even know that negotiation is a possibility. So the fact that you're aware of this and that you're actually taking the moves to make it happen or putting yourself out there in such a vulnerable way to ask this question, I mean kudos to you. This is incredible. There's two things that come to mind for me for this. One is the fact that, you know, when we say we want to raise that's not the reason that's the job is going to give it to you. Like no company is going to say, oh, she wants one, therefore we're going to give it to you. So one thing that I really want you to get rooted in is like how badass you are and how much you have done for this martial arts school. Mm. The more clear that you can get grounded in that about all the incredible things that you can do that you've done, and especially the more tangible, the more results-oriented, the more um, business-related, helping the bottom line, increasing efficiency, any of those things that you can pinpoint will help you to become more rooted in why this is good for you to continue working there. Because the truth of the matter for you is that you actually don't. You know, you said that you only had to be there for a semester, and now you've been there over a year. So the fact that you're still hanging around and still doing this great work, you know, they probably are in a position where they actually want you to stay on board. And so you have to remember that, that they want you just as much as you probably want to continue working there. Yes, I totally agree that you know, at Bossed Up Bootcamp, our module on negotiation is called Knowing Your Worth. And that's really the challenge here, right? Is that negotiation is a two-way street. And in order for you to understand your power that you're bringing to the table, you really have to look at the market economics of this. If you were to not work there tomorrow, what would your employer do? What would be their alternative options? Hiring and replacing talent is an expensive, time-consuming endeavor, and it's a risky one because the person they hire in the future might not be as great as you are. Absolutely. Retention is such a huge thing, and the cost to not only find a new person, train a new person, make sure that they're a good culture fit, and then on top of that, you know whether or not morale goes down because you've lost this incredible employee, those are all factors that the business takes into account when they're figuring out whether or not they're going to be more willing to work with you in order to be able to come up with a deal that works for both of you. Totally. So I think really overcoming the imposter syndrome, like you're asking about, Kina, it starts by figuring out saying what has been the measurable value that you have brought to the table. Don't get this confused with your self-worth. We're not talking about how great you are as a human being. We're talking about how much value have you brought to them as an employee, as a staff member, as a contractor. How much money are you saving them? How much efficiency and reliability are you bringing to the table? Really take stock of your strengths and write them down. Make a list. I call it a brag sheet, right? Brain dump your brag sheet. Come up with all the ways that you've been of support to them in the past year 
and go in with the humility of knowing that they could replace you if they needed to, but why should they stay with you? Go in with the confidence of your strengths and a real sense of what those strengths are. Yeah. I would add to that, you know, it does help if you feel like there are other options available to you. Like right now, the way you asked it is that the reason that you've stayed is that it's kind of close. And so that's put you into the position where like you don't really have the power in the situation. You are happy to work there. They're giving you money and it's close. The more that you can find opportunities of other places where you could potentially go, the stronger you're going to feel to be able to go into this conversation and be able to actually advocate for yourself because you know that it, the worst that they can say is no, and that's okay because there are other opportunities that are available to you. And even if they say no, that doesn't mean your job disappears. I think sometimes we think of asking for more as so intense and so assertive of a conversation that it might risk our entire employment opportunity altogether. That's not always the case. It's rarely, rarely, rarely the case. Even when you're in the job hunt and you've got an offer on the table, asking for more almost never results in the offer being rescinded. But the way you go about handling this conversation is really important. Kat, how would you recommend that Kina starts this conversation with her current employer? Yeah. You know, I think that we are so intimidated by the idea of asking for a raise that we think that we have to prepare this big good speech and then we go in there and we kind of like, you know, hand them a document with all these things that we've done. The first step that I always recommend people to do is to just start gradually having conversations about, you know, what you've done there. You know, talk about what is the growth that you've had during this time, you know, past the semester? Why did you decide you wanted to say? What have you been super excited about? contributing within this martial arts school. And then also just, you know, asking your boss, you know, what sort of things would you like to see if I were to continue my future here? What sort of things, projects would you like me to start working towards? If you can get your boss excited about what not only you've done in the past and help them to create like a transparency so that it's not just you know, build a two-way dialogue to create some transparency. Exactly. So oftentimes our boss forgets what we have actually done. And so if you can begin to have those conversations, talk about it, you know, drop a few things here and there of what you were proud to accomplish and also start to begin having that dialogue about what does the future look like. They're going to start thinking more seriously about the fact that you have done amazing things here and that they actually want you to stay. If you begin to have those kinds of conversations, that can then gradually lead you into, you know, I really would like to make this into a a more permanent position rather than just a an additional work study position. And if you can have that as just like a normal dialogue, they can say, yeah, actually, we would want you to stick around longer. I can't believe that your study program has already ended. We would love to keep you here. And I think it's important, Kina, to consider communicating with your supervisor in the way that they prefer to be communicated with. So if this is the kind of climate where conversations on the mat after class are a normal thing, then have a conversation on the mat after class. If you think that your boss would, on the other hand, be caught off guard if you were to broach the subject with students and parents around, then maybe you're better off sending an email saying, hey, I have really enjoyed my time working here over the past year and a few months. I would love to set up a time to talk one-on-one with you about my future here. How does Thursday at two o'clock sound for you. So propose a specific time, ask to ask. So start the conversation by maybe communicating with them via written message 
to then set up a live conversation. It is critically important that you do not ask for more, in my opinion, I would be curious to hear what you think, Kat, via written form. It does not often go in our favor, especially as women. No, I I would not do that. I would just begin the conversation. Like you said, I think that's a great idea, especially, you know, analyzing how does it happen? You know, is this a locker room kind of conversation? Is this a formal (laughs) sit down, like office closed door kind of conversation? And honestly, sometimes, you know, think about when you've received an email in the past, you don't have body language going for you. You don't have vocal tone softening the blow. So when someone's being very assertive, like asking for more money, which is a perfectly fine thing to be, but when you're being that way via email, it's really left open to the interpretation of the recipient. So let's say they're having a bad day. They open that email at a bad time. They read a very assertive message from you. It's quite possible you would be coming off as curt, as aggressive, as entitled. Or let's say you write 20 paragraphs to explain yourself to try to soften the blow. You know, I've, I've actually done that in the past in a failed negotiation attempt my own. And it just, it ends up reading like a long laundry list that makes you seem a little wild, you know? Yeah. And I would say too, that you probably have a lot of resources around you that you could tap into. You know, potentially there's somebody in the martial arts school that you have been either in a similar situation or they've seen other people, other past students transition into a more full-time role or even your career center. I mean, whoever helped to set this up, they might actually have resources that can help you, um, in your particular situation with scripts that are just as relevant. So also tap into your existing resources, whether it's in your current job or within your career resource center at your school. That's a great point, Kat. Where do you think that someone like Kina could go to figure out how much she should be asking for? Should she base it solely on the amount of money she's been paid thus far? Or where would you recommend she start to figure out the value of her role? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I'm guessing that if you're coming in for a semester for just a student position, you're definitely not getting what a normal person is doing. But that role that exists is totally normal. And if you weren't there, they would fill it by somebody else that was coming, say, off the street. So I would start to look into what are all of the things, again, coming back to that brag sheet or you know, identifying your badassity, as I like to say, what are all the things that you do within the organization? And how does that reflect to a similar job, whether it's at a similar school or maybe it's a coordinated position? You can start to see threads for how it actually looks in the real world. Like you said, you know, a quote unquote real job. This is a real job. You're doing the real job. You just happen to not be getting paid real job money. You need to go find that real job and then figure out what it's worth. You know, Glassdoor, all of those websites are really great. But when it comes to a smaller organization like that, I think the best thing that you can do is to be able to talk within your network and to be able to find, especially if you have a coworker that you feel incredibly comfortable with, you don't need to say anything like, how much do you make? You can say, hey, I've had this position. This is how much I'm making. What do you think is reasonable for me to ask if I were to go into our manager's uh, office to start this conversation? Right. They don't have to reveal anything about them. And they're usually happy to say, girl, you got to ask for at least $5 more. Like You're not getting paid anything. Right. And sometimes it's tricky because folks will say, well, there's no position quite like my position or my office is set up really uniquely or my boss has a really unique set of circumstances. But I would argue I hear that from almost everybody. (laughs) And you've got to do your research in a combination of going online and saying, "Okay, what I'm basically doing for this martial arts school is office management or 
personal assistant work. So compare the work that you're doing based on the tasks you're actually contributing to other kinds of roles, even in other sectors. That can help you find some baseline to compare things to. And try going to another martial arts school and say, hey, I'm looking to pursue a career or pursue a job in this kind of a position. What do you pay for that kind of a position? Or what do you think you've paid in the past? Or would you pay in the future? So, you know, it might feel scary to start asking strangers about earnings, but you can search other job postings that are available even in different cities or nearby geographies to try to figure out what does the market value this role at? And I always say this has nothing to do with you and your badassery, as you like to say, Kat. This has nothing to do with how badass you are, Kina. This has to do with the basic performance that is expected in this role. Let's say this role pays $15 an hour in nearby martial arts schools. If you find that you are a super badass member of the team that's bringing all kinds of different strengths to the table and your employer really doesn't want to lose you, you can still make a strong case to be paid $20 an hour. So don't let those numbers constrain you, but let them provide a baseline understanding of what's the going rate. Yeah, that's great. And and one other thing that I think, Emily, you like talking about is crafting that story. So the more confident you are in crafting that story of why you deserve that and the proof that you have, like you said, it's not just how badass you are, but you know, there's actual proof in the real world that this position gets paid X. It's not unreasonable for you to ask for more. So you know, just take that off of your shoulders, that weight that's on it of that this is an uncomfortable, awkward thing to ask for and realize that it's perfectly normal. You're probably getting underpaid, especially if you started as a student and that this conversation is probably one that your boss has been anticipating for a long time and is just hoping that you (laughs) wouldn't have the nerve to do. Yeah, because they're not going to roll out the red carpet for you, right? They're happy to pay you less (laughs) as long as you are happily coming to work every day. It's basically kind of like this, Kina. If you don't say otherwise, your employer is going to assume that the deal they have made with you still works for you. So you've really got to consider... What is sustainable for you? What is going to make it worth your while? So Kat, she goes in, she has this meeting, she asks for the meeting. How on earth should she start this conversation with her boss? Well, I think we, you know what you were saying before about assessing how your boss's management style is. That's an important first note because if there's somebody who probably is going to be uncomfortable with this situation, you want to just you know start the conversation normally. Like, how's it going? What's going on in here? Here are some things that are coming up. Oh, did you hear about this? Just have that normal conversation. At a certain point, though, you mean if, if it makes you feel more comfortable, you have to find what what works best for you. So you know there may be a perfect way to enter this situation. Maybe for you. It's it's having a piece of paper with some of the research that you found. Maybe you're a very like research-driven person. You say, you know what? I've really loved working here. You know, one of the things that I've been realizing is that I have to determine whether or not it makes the most sense for me to stay here long term. You know, as you know, I'm a full time working student. And while I love the work that I do here, I want to make sure that this is going to be something where I can sustain myself, not only to bring my best foot forward here in this position, but also to be able to excel in school, which is what my main focus is right now. And then you can start doing the research and bringing out some things. You know, 
for this position, I, here are some things that I'm really proud that I've been able to do and start talking about it. Now, one of the things that we often forget is that this is a two-way conversation. So when we go into a raise conversation or just negotiating, we kind of do similar to what you said, um, Emily, where you have that like laundry list, 20 paragraph email, and we just continue like spitting out all this information and what we want and what we think and what we feel we deserve. Remember, it's a conversation. So have a few points that you want to start with and then see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that the negotiation doesn't have to end with that first conversation. Like you said, maybe they say no, or maybe they say, you know, I don't think we can do that. Keep in mind that that conversation doesn't need to be the end all be all. You know, many of us think if they say no, or if they say, I don't think so, or I don't think this is going to work right now, we think, okay, that's it. You can still have that conversation be a almost a comma in the sentence rather than a period. So it could be something that you can come back to again. You can say, you know, have you thought more about this? Or I want to bring this up again. It doesn't have to be the end there. So no matter what happens in this first conversation, don't feel like you need to have it all figured out by the end once you walk away. One thing to really keep in mind just from a stylistic standpoint is that you know, if you're nervous about this conversation, it's quite possible that you will come across as really serious. And so to help counter that very serious facial expression or tone or body language that you might accidentally bring with you into this conversation, I always recommend by starting off with a sense of gratitude, by saying, I have so enjoyed my time working here, and I'm really excited to talk with you about my future here. And that's why I want to have this conversation. So that right off the bat, your employer knows your intention here is a good one. Your intention here is not to bounce on them if they don't give you what they want. It's for you to explore how you can continue you know, providing the services you've been providing in a sustainable way. So just leading with gratitude, even if it does mean to smile through your negotiation, you know, we hate giving that kind of advice, but for women, especially, we're more likely to be seen as less likable when we're being assertive. So to counterbalance some of the assertiveness that will come across in a negotiation conversation, it's super important that you bring empathy to this conversation and make sure that you're keeping as friendly and positive a tone as possible. You don't want to be misread or mislabeled as catty or, you know, curt or kind of stern when that's not at all how you're trying to come across. And keep in mind, women are great at collaborating. So, you know, if you can think that this is not just you bringing something to the table and they take it or leave it, but how can we work together? You can probably leave that conversation in a much better place where both of you are happy with the direction moving forward. Now, one of the questions I get a lot, Kat, that I'm curious to hear where you stand on is, do you think Kina should go into this conversation open-ended saying, you know, here's a range that I'm looking for to make, or can you just pay me more question mark? Or do you think she should go in with a number that she's asking for? I would say it's also a psychological thing with how ranges, like if you are going and the position is between 60 and 80, that range is so wide, wide in terms of what you're doing. Whereas if it's between that same thing, like 60 to 80,000 versus six to eight, you know, there's not as much room for you guys to dance within that. Mm. So if it's only that you're asking for a $2 raise, I would just go in and say, I would like to be making at least this. And of course, keeping in mind, you want to anchor high. You're not anchoring for what you actually want 
to walk away with, you want to anchor a little bit higher than that with the intention of knowing that they will probably not be able to meet you at that exact number and be willing to go down. Tell me more about what you mean by anchoring. Okay. So the way I like to think about it is how you go to a restaurant and you see a menu. So if you go to a super fancy restaurant where the steak is $80, you're going to be like, Ooh, that's pretty expensive. Let me see what else they have. And you see like, maybe there's a hamburger for $18. You think that's, that's pretty reasonable. I'm going to go for that. Now you take that same kind of situation, but now you're in kind of a regular place where like, let's say it's an Applebee's. So the steak is $18, but the hamburger is 12 you're going to look at that steak and be like, ooh, that's still pretty expensive. But you're going to look at the hamburger and say, wow, $12, that's reasonable. The food is technically the same. Of course, one tastes more delicious, hopefully, at the fancy restaurant versus just, say, an Applebee's. But the idea is you were perfectly happy to pay $18 at the fancy restaurant for the burger as opposed to paying $80 for the fancy steak. Whereas when you're at the other restaurant, you're like, oh, no way I'm paying $18 for that steak. I'm going to go for the $12 hamburger. Huh. So when you anchor yourself higher and just become aware of the situation of that, the possibilities are higher, then everyone's going to feel more comfortable going down. So there's even some people who say, you could say, hey, listen, I'm not trying to ask for a million dollars here. Just that subtle clue of you're not wow. asking for a million is now making you seem slightly reasonable to ask for a $10,000 raise. <laughs> I love that. So really what you're saying is set expectations by aiming a little higher in your initial ask than what you would be willing to settle for. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting because everybody's happy to meet in the middle, much Everyone's more so happy. than and to if, you at the top of your range. Absolutely. And the boss, say you really only want a $2 raise, but you ask for a four. You know, if you get that four, you are going to be over the moon. <laughs> but for the boss, if they say, you know, we really can't make four, but we can give you three. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, oh, dope. That's actually $1 more than I wanted. And for your boss, now that they think they've saved $1 from what you initially hoped, they are actually happier walking away. So if by aiming just slightly higher, you both can walk away from the situation happier. And the aim of every negotiation is for both sides to be happy to create a win-win situation. Yeah. I I think that's such a great point. And Kina, if asking for more money is your top priority, these are all strong frameworks to keep in mind when picking your number. Do your research, aim high, anchor high, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But don't if, be un- unrealistic. Right, but don't be unrealistic. <laughs> and if you are only saying, I think I should negotiate because I've been here for a year and a half, mm-hmm. I would ask you to ask yourself, what is it that I really want? Do I want more flexibility? Do I want a promotion? Do I want more responsibilities? Do I want higher compensation? And if what is most important to you is not possible for your employer, let's say you get a no, have an alternative, have a secondary ask in your back pocket so that if they say, I can't make that happen right now, but come back to me in a month or two, mm-hmm. you know, be ready with your secondary ask. Well, in that case, how would you feel about you know, one day less a week or one more day a week or this class or that class or compensating me for this, you know, figure out a strategic backup that you would also want to make your secondary negotiation priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could even potentially work out a a situation because you are a full-time student where you are actually going in one day less, but you're still getting the same walk away pay every week. Right. So that technically your price has gone up, but as long as you can deliver the value and the work that they're looking for, they're going to be just as 
happy. And you're going to be happy because you're going to have a little bit more time to spend focusing either on your school or your social life or just yourself. (laughs) Now, Kat, what if Kina goes in, she's super prepared, she asks for more, and she does not get a positive response in real time? Let's say, God forbid, her boss is just not ready to play ball or is just not ready to say yes to her ask. How do you think she could wrap up that kind of a initial conversation and make it into the comma that you mentioned earlier? I think, you know, going back to the gratitude, if they're just like, you know, we can't. And it's like, oh, you know, is there any way we can work together? We can't. You say, well, you know, I, this is something that I wanted to bring up. I'm happy that you've taken the time to listen to where I'm coming from. I hope we can find a way to work together moving forward. But if not, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. You're saying... I appreciate feeling heard. I also have found this one little phrase to be super helpful. Oh, yeah. Which is, can you look into that for me? Right? That's a, yes. yes. It's so simple, but it puts the onus on them to take a step. Mm -hmm. So you got to know upfront, Kina, or if you're getting a shrug or a, I'm not sure, you know, if they're not going to come up with any more information for you in real time, maybe they just need some time to crunch the numbers. Maybe your boss is uncomfortable having this conversation, understandably so. Mm-hmm. Give them the benefit of the doubt and give them an opportunity to think about it. Mm-hmm. To say, Can you get back to me in a week? Can you look into that for me? I'll circle up in a week's time so we can reconnect on this. You know, providing a benchmark for setting expectations for the next conversation Super duper important. Yes, that's a great one. And and if they come back again with a no, you can even re- like restate to them. So are you saying to me, there's no way we can work together to do this or to be able to find a way so that this is something where we can, you know, continue this working relationship together? Or you can even just say, so are you saying to me, there's no possibility of a raise within my role here at this company? Right. I mean, they're just putting them on the spot and they have to say, yes, there's no possible way. Or they're most likely going to say okay, you know what, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Right. And you right. say, thank you, I appreciate it. Exactly. So I think closing with gratitude as much as you open with gratitude, super duper important. But whenever you can hold their feet to the fire a little bit by setting expectations about when you will next come back mm-hmm. to this topic is so important because I've worked with women whose employers have kicked the can down the road so many times that they were promised a promotion eight months ago and it still hasn't materialized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, set expectations and be firm about them. Be, be consistent about your follow-up. And honestly, it's important to go into these conversations considering your alternatives. So my final question for you <laughs> is, if Kina can't get a raise at this martial arts studio. What do you think she should consider doing about that? Should she write it out or? or Girl, no, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it depends on your financial situation. Of course, if this is something you absolutely need then stay in it as long as you can, but I would actively start looking for other opportunities. I'm sure there are plenty of other things that are close to campus where you can get paid just as much, if not more, and be able to start with a new clean slate where you're setting expectations that you expect to be able to get paid what is fair, not just at a student rate. I would not stick around if you do not need to. I would focus your attention on your school and on your on yourself and getting yourself into a better opportunity if yeah. you are crunched for time. And if you're crunched for money, sure, stick around for a while, but don't 
you know, don't stick around forever. You don't yeah. need to be there continuing in this way. If you're in a position where, you know, you're not really going to be moving up within it. And especially if you don't really care about owning a martial arts school of your very own in the future, you know, that's not really related to your future. So prioritize yourself in the end of the day. I love that advice. It is important to, at the end of the day, know that you're getting paid your worth and see a future for yourself where you are because everybody wants a sense of progress. But the one thing I would argue, and this is a little different than your take, cat, is if this is more of a hobby than a job, mm. you know, if this is something she's doing on the side, it brings home, you know, some going out play money, but she just loves it. Maybe she loves the art of martial arts. You know, maybe this is a passion of hers. I'd say there's sometimes an argument to be made that, you know, your hobbies don't need to bring home a paycheck for you. So you have to decide, Kina, what are my long-term goals here? Is it to pay off my student loans? <laughs> Sorry, that's probably too soon. <laughs> to bring up. But is it, you know, is it to get out of debt? I know, she's like, don't even tell me. But, you know, is it to get out of debt? Is it to pay for next semester? Is it because you love this kind of work and it gets you out of the classroom and out of the library and it's fulfilling? You know, only you know what your top priorities are. Don't feel like you have to negotiate or you're a failure. Don't mm -hmm. feel like you have to get paid more or this is, you know, some personal failing. But it is never too early to start practicing the art of negotiation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a great testing ground. And I think you're in a great time where you can practice it and you should practice it. Because I think, you know, moving forward, it's only going to help you not only in your career, but hopefully in this position to be able to get you what you deserve. Kat, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode to break down Kina's negotiation conundrum. Can you tell us a little bit more about the negotiation program that you're offering starting this April? Thank you so much for having me on, Emily. This was so much fun. My course is called Be Brave, Get Paid. We are opening our doors for our next launch on April 10th, which is Equal Pay Day because I want to help women get more money. Women similar like you, Kaina, who are crazy, ambitious, hardworking women who just do not know how to confidently ask. So it includes scripts and email templates, the works. And we also have a live component where you can practice negotiating with your peers. Super excited to get out there. So thanks, Emily, for promoting that. And for anyone that hasn't already, go listen to Emily's story on The Big Leap Show. You oh, share yeah. so many nuggets on there. And uh, and also, if this is your first time listening and you haven't been to a Boston Bootcamp, I'd highly recommend it. If I am there, I would love to meet you in person. But if not, go get your buns in there because Emily teaches some incredible things about getting more bossed up in your life and your career. After this quick break, we'll hear this week's Boss Moves moment. Today's episode is sponsored by Crude, the plant-based oil cleansing products that have helped thousands of people, myself included, feel confident in their own clear skin. I spoke to Crude's founder, master esthetician, Denise Cartwright, about what inspired her line of suds-free cleansers. I started experimenting with oil cleansing six years into my career as a master esthetician. And I started giving my oil blends to my clients. And within six months, I had helped more people heal their acne than I had in six years using all of the most cutting edge facial treatments. I want women to feel empowered in the wisdom of their own bodies. And I want them to feel free of the pressure to buy into these 15 step skincare regimens. So Crude takes a leave no trace approach to skincare. We cleanse and moisturize the skin without disrupting its delicate ecosystems. 
If you want to support Denise and join me in ditching the suds, get 20% off any crude product right now by heading to livecrude.com and entering code BOSSEDUP at checkout. Thank you for supporting the female-driven companies that support this podcast. And we're back, and it's time to hear this week's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. My name is Kate Sosna, and I am from Northwest Arkansas. In the fall of 2017, I completed a women's empowerment program in my community through the Insights Group Women's Empowerment Center. A few weeks ago, I was asked by the founder of the program to speak to a local news station about my experiences in the program and the Alumni Association. That was my Boss Step Move of the Week. Thank you for letting me share it. Thank you so much for sharing, boss. We are cheering you on. And if you've got a boss moves moment to share with the podcast, give our Bossed Up hotline a call right now because you never know who you're inspiring when you share your own come up story. Call in now and leave me a message at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And you might just hear your boss moves moment featured next. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found the negotiation advice that Kat and I gave helpful, do me a favor and share this episode with a boss bestie in your world who can use some brushing up on how to start the negotiation conversation. And as we round out the month of March, I have to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who rated us in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, who left a review there, who shared this podcast with your community. Because when we launched Bossed Up the podcast at the start of this month, we had no idea how many people we were going to be able to reach with this new endeavor, with this new creative project. And I really, really appreciate your support. Many of you have listened to me on the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast with a big network behind me. And I will be totally honest with you, launching an independent production like this one is a totally terrifying thing to do, especially after having an entire team to work with in my last podcasting adventure. So I really, really appreciate how you've supported this independent production and how you've supported me on this next journey of bossing up myself and daring to make my voice heard, even without a big network behind me. It's each and every one of you that I do this for. And it's each and every one of you who make this possible when you share this podcast with others. So thank you so much. All right, y'all, it's time to keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose. And together, we're going to keep lifting as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And It actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously 
engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 